Hi, this is Bob Berg, and you're listening to Awakened Nation with Brad Zalas. A huge shift is taking place on planet Earth. People seem to be waking up. Tired of the way things used to be, they are creating something brand new and changing the world we live in. My name is Brad Zalas, and I get to sit down with the next generation of idea makers, the disruptors, and the game changers. Everyday people, just like you and me, from all over, who are doing amazing things. Welcome to Awakened Nation. Hey, everybody. Uh, I am jazzed to have on today's guest, Bob Berg. Bob, you're in the green room. How are you doing today? Great, Brad. How about yourself? Good. And we met back in 2013, and I got to tell you, uh, you were something else. You're a sight to behold talking on stage. You're talking about the go-giver. And I'm just going to talk about your resume real quick in your intro. Uh, you're a much sought-after speaker at company leadership and sales conferences, sharing the platform with everyone from today's business leaders and broadcast personalities to even a former U.S. president. And you're also an author of a number of books on sales, marketing, and influence with total book sales of well over a million copies. Uh, and this is the book that I really, we're going to talk a lot about this, this whole series, but The Go-Giver, uh, co-authored with John David Mann, has sold over 850,000 copies, and it has been translated into 21 languages. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about your latest in this series, uh, The Go-Giver Influencer. And I just wanted to really welcome you to the show, Bob. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you. It's such a, a pleasure to be here. My goodness. Let's dig in. Uh, you know, a lot of people, they talk about the go-getter. You know, in business, you've got to have moxie. You've got to push the envelope. Uh, and then they meet somebody like you, who's, uh, you're just, you have a great sense of humor. Uh, you're no-nonsense. You understand what it's all about. But this, this head, this mindset, um, it's really about um, kind of like an entrepreneurial mindset. But does, how does this message apply to people in the corporate world where they're under structures and things like this? How does the go-giver uh, apply to them? Sure. So I think there are a couple of, of um, parts to this. One is, you know, if we look at what, what do we mean by the term go-giver? And it, the basic premise behind it is simply that shifting your focus, and this is really the key, uh, shifting your focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing value to others and understanding that not only is this a, a pleasant way of doing business, but it's the most financially profitable way as well. Um, now, we, you were talking earlier about the go uh, about the term go-getter, and here's the interesting thing, because your know, terms and definitions are always important because we, we can... We can um, sort of see a word and understand it our own way, according to our own beliefs, which may be different from, from someone else's. And we, we remember that uh, Napoleon Hill in his, in his classic Think and Grow Rich said the day of the go-getter has passed. He's been replaced by the go-giver. But I think what, what Hill was really referring to was what we would call a go-taker. Because you know, we kind of want people to be go-getters because a go-getter is someone who takes action, right? And right. You, know, you know, you've had a very successful career and you know that you can have all the greatest thoughts, best ideas, most fantastic intent, 
But unless action is put into the mix, nothing is going to happen. It, it simply cannot happen. So, you know, we would say we want people to be both go-getters, people of action, and go-givers, people who are totally, absolutely laser-focused on bringing immense or giving immense value to others. What we don't want is for people to be go-takers. Those are the people who feel kind of uh, entitled, I guess, if you will, to take, take, take without having added value to the person, to the process, to the, the situation. Uh, you know, if, we, if we look at, at how this applies to someone in the corporate field, because obviously as an entrepreneur and salesperson, these principles um, are somewhat obvious. Uh, you know, to the degree that you focus on bringing value to others, well, that's the degree someone might right. want to do business with you. We, we know, and I often say this when I speak at a corporate event or at a sales event, excuse me, that nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet, right? They're not going right. to buy from you because you need the money and they're not going to buy from you just because you're a nice person. They're going to buy from you only because they believe that they are better off doing so than by not doing so. And in a free market-based economy, and when I say free market, I simply mean no one is forced to do business with anyone else. Uh, that's the only reason why they, they should buy from you. That's why it's so important. Any entrepreneur or salesperson, uh, assuming they're working in a free market as opposed to something where you know cronyism has given them a special advantage uh, you know, through government force or something like that. Uh, and most of us do not, <laughs> we're not big enough for that to be the case. And I'm, right. I'm glad. Um, but they know that they've got to focus on that other person. This is why, you know, they've got to, they've got to be able to communicate immense value to another human being. This is why John David Mann, my awesome co-author, why we say that money is simply an echo of value. So, but in the corporate sense, when and you asked about what if someone's a corporate employee? Well, you know, Brad, they may not be entrepreneurs, but they still need to be intrapreneurs. They're entrepreneurs within another person's organization. And remember, just as an employee, you still have customers, but now your customer is those people you work with, uh, whether it's in the cubicle next to you or whether it's your supervisor whether it's your ultimately your employer and ultimately actually the, the end customer. So, you know, no one's going to hire you because you have a mortgage payment to meet or a rent payment. They're going to hire right. you because they believe that you're bringing more value to them than what they're paying out. So true. You said a mouthful there. You really did. It's like, uh, and it, this is the thing, you know, this isn't new agey mumbo jumbo. This is really about, uh, what are you planting as seeds uh, for the future and, and working with people and creating collaboration? And um, you and John, you lay out five laws in the book. Would you like to share that with uh, our listeners? Uh, sure. The one in the original Go-Giver book, the five laws are value, compensation, influence, authenticity, and receptivity. And it's, it's important, it's vital that they're used in conjunction because leaving any any of them out of the equation uh, will mean you uh, that you just simply cannot fulfill uh, your potential because they're all they're all vital to the process and these are you know these laws are nothing that John and I made up we may have given them certain names and put them in story form in a parable but um, I suspect that successful people have been tapping into these five laws 
whenever there have been market economies, whether in the ancient days of uh, the Babylonian marketplace uh, uh, or that James Classen talked about, wherever there's been market economies, people have, the, the ones who've been successful have tapped into those laws. Now, some have done it, uh, oh, the richest man in Babylon, of course. And so that's what I was thinking of. The, <laughs> I said the Babylonian marketplaces, I said the, the title, the richest man. I love that book, by the way. I know. Richest, Wasn't that richest man in book? Babylon. Huh? The Richest Man in Babylon. Everybody should pick that up. It's oh. a fantastic book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they tapped into these these qualities, whether consciously or or unconsciously. So uh, the the law of value simply means your focus needs to be on pro providing an overall experience to that person in which they feel as though they have received much more in value than what they paid. Um, while you make a very healthy profit. So we simply, to understand this, we need to understand the difference between price and value. So whereas price is a dollar figure, uh, it's, you know, it's finite, it is what it is, it's dollar amount, value is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something, to the end user or beholder. So in other words, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea, what have you, that brings so much worth or value to a person that they will willingly exchange their money for it and be ecstatic that they did? And it right. could be as you know, could be as simple as you know, you own a restaurant and the dinner costs. Uh, it's a high-end restaurant. The dinner costs a couple hundred dollars, but the people who ate there, they felt. Wow, what a great experience. Not only was the food absolutely fantastic, but the service was, a, was un, out of this world. The ambiance was just crazy great. You came away from it feeling like you received a couple thousand dollars in value for this couple of hundred dollars, while, of course, the owner of the restaurant made a very, very healthy profit. So both, both parties come out ahead. In fact, in a, a free market-based exchange, there are always at least two profits, the buyer profits and the seller profits, because both came away better off after the transaction than they did before the transaction. Wow. I hope everybody's taking notes who's listening today because uh, this is wisdom right here. Well, um, Bob, the first time you and I met was in 2013 at a uh, Napoleon Hill Think and Grow Richard. That's right. That's and right. Um, a lot of people, they don't understand the power of your own personal presence and i gotta be honest you and i we had a great time and what it was about you is there's something magnetic about you you were gracious with your time uh and you didn't know me from adam but we all hung out all the speakers there i consider friends to this day oh yeah and and it, it the most powerful part about this is you were personal and you were you were just gracious with your time like i said and you were funny and I want everybody who's listening, if you're in a corporate environment, if you are wanting to go out on your own, if you want to be the top salesperson, there's always someone in every organization that stands heads and tails above everybody else when they enter the room. And can you be that person? And I feel the whole Go-Giver series, and especially the Go-Giver Influencer, these are books that can help you get to that level, to have that achievement, to be able to stand and know that just that one simple giving back uh, within an organization and being supportive 
uh, I think is the power of what we talk about. Well, you know, Brad, and thank you for the kind words. I, I mean, I enjoyed meeting you, and you were just uh, just hilarious to be around. <laughs> Your Christopher Walken imitation, I, I take with me out that I can't watch that guy without thinking of you. Um, I think that what it really is, and, and um, the mentor, Pindar, and his protege, Joe, talk about this in, uh, in The Go-Giver, that the people whose focus is on bringing value to others tend to be the people who become attractive to others. Not attractive in the physical sense necessarily, but that people want to be around. So the, the charismatic person, if you will, you know, doesn't have to be that person who's, you know, has that look and the, you know, the aura around them or the whole thing. It, it, that they can. But that typically, that's a matter of luck, you know, that, that you happen to, you know, look like that or, or whatever. But now, nah, really, when you think about it, the people who are the center of, of attention are the people not necessarily looking to be the center of attention. They're the people who are more focused on bringing value to others. And leadership, the greatest leaders are the ones who are focused on those they lead, okay, uh, making uh, making those they lead the star, <laughs> and so true. you know, and, and isn't it funny that way? It's it's those people who who um, really focus on bringing value to others who tend to be the ones that ultimately they receive so much more in value even than they give, right? Even though that's not it's, really the that is you so said. funny, yeah. yeah. It's so true. Um, you know, there's an old uh, story that. I remember in Dale Carnegie, uh, there were all these people that came to help set up a meeting that he was leading. And I guess a reporter was there, and he was kind of blown away. He couldn't believe that all the people helping Dale Carnegie were some of the richest men in the world. And he said, how the heck do you get all these rich guys, you know, these millionaires, to work for you for nothing? And he, his answer was, I knew them before they were millionaires. And he was... That was a real testament to how much he was willing to support people and bring them along. And this goes into a question that you know, we hear this time and time again on every corporate bottom line. And uh, your books raise a few eyebrows because uh, John wrote about this. Does it make money is, is not a bad question. Uh, it does give us ROI. It's a great question. It's just a bad first question. Sure. And I think a lot of the entrepreneurs, people who are listening to this podcast, um, especially in the startup phase, uh, and me, myself, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life, I would disagree with that. Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's people first for me, but they might even say that uh, it's the only question that comes in, in business. Um, otherwise, you're just naive, as they would say. So, but what do you mean by that? I mean, yeah. this, is, this is value that you're bringing to the stage that can't really be measured. Am I right? Well, let's, so let's take that apart and see, and, and see what really is, is meant and why that's important, okay? So, so Joe, the, the protege, says to Pindar, are you saying that asking whether it makes money uh, isn't, a, isn't important? It isn't a good question? And Pindar says, no. Will it make money is, a, um, is very important. It's a great question. It's just right. a bad first question. Okay, why? Why? Well... Because if the, the first question is, will it make money, then it's about you, okay? 
it's not about the people who are the potential buyers. Remember, it goes back to people don't buy because you want them to or need them to. They buy because they believe it, they'll be better off by doing so than by not doing so. So first, instead of asking first, will it make money? Ask, will it serve? In other words, is there a market for it? Will people buy this? Okay. So again, this is nothing, uh, uh, this is nothing touchy-feely or fluffy. Oh, don't care whether it makes money. No, whether it makes money is very important. But first, ask, will it serve? Will, is there a market for it? Because you know what, Brad? Um, if, you're, you know, if there's not a market for it, it isn't going to make money. So first, so put first things first. Now, on the other hand, okay, if it will serve, if there is a market for it, you've also then got to ask, will it make money? Is it profitable? Otherwise, you've just got a hobby. And while hobbies are wonderful, that's not the context of what we're talking about. So you've got to put first things first. Remember, money is an echo of value. What that means is the focus must be on the value, which means it must be on the customer. Uh, the money you receive is simply a very natural and direct result of the value you provided. So first, if you really, really want it to make money, you've got to first ask, will it serve? Will it serve? If the answer is yes. yes, then ask, okay, will it make money? So again, not that money's not important. It's very important. It's just not the first question to ask. Wow. That's incredible. I hope everybody was taking notes. It's not the first question to ask. It's powerful. And too many bottom, you know, too many bean counters, they look at the bottom line, but the value has to be there. Uh, look at Uber, look at Lyft. They wouldn't have come along if you looked at the first set of numbers because it was a huge costly investment to get the network ready. Um, so the value that customers needed wanted speed to market as well. Uh, is incredible. So, thank you for that. Um, now, let's talk about mentorship. I know this is something you, you talk about uh, a lot. And uh, what's the best way to find a mentor? Or more importantly, um, what should somebody who's up and coming um, in their career not do when trying to find one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, because, you know, mentorship is such a great thing. I mean, find the right mentor and you can cut your learning curve time by, by years. Right. Uh, and we now, you know, have the opportunity to meet so many more people than we, we used to, that we otherwise may have. But I think what happens is sometimes when, when someone's young, and this is not just uh, the Gen Xers or Gen Yers or Gen Zers, this, we all did that. I mean, you know, we were all young ones, right? And so, right. Uh, and so it's very natural to kind of, you know, when you're a young up and comer, uh, you know, you find someone who is someone you'd love to have as a mentor and you simply say, Hey, you know, would you be my mentor? Right. And, right. and I, and I think it's very tempting to do that. But what, what that does when you ask like that, when you just ask someone who you have a very little relationship, very little, if any relationship with, and you just say, Hey, will you be my mentor? It's sort of like asking someone, you know, Hey, would you share 30 years of your wisdom with me, even though you hardly know me from a hole in the wall? 
it, it, it's sort of like asking for a marriage as opposed to a date. You know, it's, it, right. it, it's not likely to get you the way it comes across as being a bit entitled, entitled. And it also just that person probably is busy and there's no reason for them to just kind of take on that kind of commitment. So rather than, than doing it that way, what I would suggest is, you know, you can still ask pretty much anyone who, you know, uh, really who you've even had any kind of introduction to or that you've met in any way. But what I would do instead is to, to simply say to the person, uh, you know, something like, you know, I'm, I'm just starting in business and, you know, I know you're extremely busy. So if this would not be appropriate or something you'd even like to do, please know it. Totally understandable. I wonder if I could possibly ask you one or two very specific questions. Okay, so now what you've done is you've created the environment where it, you're coming out of appreciate, coming from a you know a point of appreciation as opposed to entitlement. Uh, you're respecting the process. You're acknowledging that this is not something that they you know need to feel obligated to do. But what you've also done is you've you've given them sort of an out or a back door, and also you've let them know this is not going to take up a lot of their time. This is not a big commitment. You're asking if you could ask one or two very specific questions. Okay. Right. Much better than, by the way, pick your brain. Okay. One or two very specific questions. Now, most people will say, sure, you know, absolutely. Now, will everybody? No, but not everybody has to. That's not the point. Uh, but enough people certainly will. And then now make sure that you do your research on them. There's no excuse anymore to not know everything you can about someone who you're going to, to ask questions to. And make sure you don't ask something, the answer to which you could have easily discovered through your, your search. Okay. And so, uh, you know, you have your couple of questions that you ask and they answer and you show, you know, let them know how filled with gratitude you are. And then what I would also suggest you do is a couple of very important things. That very day, send a handwritten, personalized note of thanks. Just a brief note, but a handwritten, not a text, not an email, a handwritten, personalized note of thanks, letting them, you know, letting them know how grateful you are for their taking their time and sharing their wisdom with you, how you look forward to applying it right away, and you'll keep in touch to, you know, keep them updated. And then, Brad, I would also... Having found, having found out what their favorite, let's say, charitable cause is, is which, you, again, you can see right on, you can find out about them right online, um, is to make a small, doesn't have to be anything big, but just a small donation to their favorite charity in their name. They'll be notified of it. And again, you're not doing it to, to kiss up or anything like that, but you're really doing it simply to communicate that you are very appreciative and grateful and respectful of their time and that while you're not in a position to give to them as they did to you, you certainly want to be able to at least acknowledge your obligation to do that, even with a small donation. Then, you know, uh, three weeks later, a month later, you know, maybe you um, connect again and ask another question and so forth, or if you can, you know, what have you. And, and eventually, over time, if a mentor-protege relationship is supposed to develop, it will. If not, right. it won't. But your chances are much greater of that happening that way than just kind of walking right up and asking, hey, will you be my mentor? 
this is incredibly powerful what you just said. And I hope any young people listening uh, to this show are really getting that this is a very simple technique. Uh, and it's not done in a fake way. You're developing and creating a relationship. Uh, and you're also touching on something that I think is our very next uh, question. And that is, we're talking about influence here. And it works at the, at the beginning of your career as well as at the top of your career. And how does a go-giver create influence both personally and in business, which you just touched just a little bit on, uh, and how does that directly relate to new business and, and even leadership at the top? Sure. Uh, so let's take that from, from both of those contexts. And I would always begin, as you know, because you hear me do this all the time, with a definition or a, a premise. Um, and, and I would say, you know, let's define influence on a very, very basic level as simply the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. That, right. by definition, is influence. Now, here's the thing, Brad, that's the definition of influence, but it's by no means the essence of influence. The essence of influence is pull, pull as opposed to push, uh, as in how far can you push a rope? And the answer, of course, is not very, at least not very fast or very effectively. Um, so that's why great influencers, whether they're top leaders or salespeople or whatever they happen to be, that's why they don't, they don't push. You, you never hear someone say, wow, that David or that, that Anne, she is so influential. She has a lot of push with people. She sure is pushy. Wow, we just love her. We'll follow her anyway. No, they'd say she's very influential. She has a lot of pull with people. And that pull, that's, it's, in a it's an attraction. And that's what, what influencers do. Now, the question is, how? And this is where I would say that whether you're a leader leading others or a salesperson uh, who's really, you're, you're leading your prospect, how do you do this? How do you pull as opposed to push because remember when you push you're trying to push your will onto others it's about right. you not about them and we know for instance that selling is discovering what the other person wants needs or desires and help them to get it within leadership it's discovering what the other person needs wants and desires in helping them get it uh and so a leader, a salesperson, any influencer does it basically the same way. They, they, they place their focus, they move from an I focus or me focus to an other focus. They ask the question, how does what I want this other person to do, how does it align with their goals, with their wants, their needs, their desires? How does what I'm asking this this other person to do, how does it align with their values? What problems am I helping them to solve? How am I helping to make their life better? And when we ask ourselves these questions thoughtfully, intelligently, uh, genuinely, authentically, not as a way to manipulate another human being into doing our will, but as a way of building everyone in the process, now we've come a lot closer to earning that person's commitment as opposed to trying to depend on some type of compliance, which, you know, at, at 
best uh, is unsustainable and at worst is, you know, people will sabotage the process completely. That's fantastic. I love what you said. Uh, how can people get a hold of you, Bob? What's the best place to go? Probably the best way is is uh, the website, the Go Giver website. So it's the Go Giver without the hyphen dot com. The Go Giver dot com. And uh, folks, pick up Bob's books over at uh, is Amazon the best place to go, or just go to your website as well. Yeah, and you know if they go to the Go Giver dot com and scroll down a few pages, they can get chapter one and uh, as well as an excerpt, and they can see if they like it first. Then if they do, they can always click through to Amazon. Excellent. Thank you. I'm going to go into the lightning round here in order to wrap up. I'm going to ask you three questions that are outside of our, outside of our usual questioning here. And uh, so our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. Uh, What's your favorite music? My favorite music, golden oldies, which is the late fifties, early sixties. Let's go to the hop. Oh baby. Do what? Nice. The doo-wop, yeah, it. absolutely. There you go. And, the doo-wop uh, so sound of the golden so you like Sha- You like Shauna Na, obviously. Oh, yeah. Uh, love that. Uh, also, what's your favorite food? Oh, wow. I would have to say um, I consider donuts to be its own food group. <laughs> I would agree on that one. Donuts are definitely in the category. Uh, donuts. Oh, yeah. And the last question, if you weren't doing what you're doing right now, what would be the one thing that you always wanted to do, but just didn't get a chance to do it? Well, I would say play third base for the Boston Red Sox, but it was less a matter of the chance than having no talent. Uh, Let's see. You know, hard to say. Um, I've just been so very fortunate to get to do what it is I do. Uh, I would imagine though I'd be in some type of sales, but uh, you know, it's a great question, Brad. I really don't know what I'd be doing if I, if I wasn't doing this. That's awesome. So you're living your passion. Yeah. Bob, thank you so much for being on the show today. The go-giver, you live it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, my friend, for being on Awakened Nation and uh, take care. Thank you. You too, my brother. I want to thank you so much for being a big part of the Awakened Nation movement. This is how you can help me and our extraordinary guests. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please share it out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let's grow this movement by word of mouth. Our success will be because of you. Thank you, and see you next week.